this filmography is it anyway, folks. Uh, we finished Wes Anderson, so you know what that means. We are doing a ranking. Yes, thank you. Uh, welcome to uh, the finale. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, uh, I am Josh Page, and with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Melina. Hello, everyone. I can't believe we made it. This it's... is uh, This is crazy. To make it through, I mean, I'm not to get sentimental here, but to make it through uh, two directors, it's, uh, I'm impressed. It's certainly a milestone, Stephen. It is a milestone of sorts. I don't know. And I, uh, I'll be honest, I, I, not to jump on my final thoughts too much, but I feel, <laughs> I feel refreshed right now. Whereas uh. with, when we got to this episode in Nolan, I was like, get it out of my face. <laughs> This time I'm like ready to embrace it and I'm like a, um, no, sorry. I didn't mean to step over your words. It's like, I was gonna say, it's like step, um, step on the shower and putting on a fresh change of drawers. You know, it's like, just exactly. It feels, it feels wonderful. It's like going, it's like me, it's like a spa day. Uh, yeah. Like going on Steve's is a uh, little spa on his, uh, boat. Steve's is so. Zizzo. Steve's is so. He's my, I let you call me Stevesy. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. It's uh, yes, the uh, the life aquatic. Uh, uh, yeah, we talked about a couple of episodes ago. You can check it out. We talked about it. Is As a film. Uh, let's just get this out of the way too, since we're doing this now. As always, there will be spoilers about oh, yes. every single one of Wes Anderson's movies. If yes. you have not seen them, go watch them. Or if you want to hear about one of our individual ta- our individual takes on an on a movie then go to those podcasts, you know? You don't have to listen to the ranking until you've listened to them all. It's up to Steven, you. Steven, don't, don't tell the audience what to do. They'll, they're, you know, they'll figure it out for themselves. I just, I don't know. I'm going off the stupid spoiler alert thing. It's oh, this still is good. No, 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 no. No, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. We're doing right by the system. Yes, I imagine that. I know we're doing right by the system, but you can't tell me the system isn't a little crazy. You see isn't- an episode called the Grand Budapest Hotel. It's an hour and a half long. <laughs> and you don't expect to hear spoilers. Oh, I would just, I would love to see the spoiler-free uh, version. When they talk about that, you know, uh, reducted, redacted, sorry. When they talk about that spoiler alert, they talk about that sensor here and this and that, you know, just, but we're having the same conversation, but there's just a lot less being said. Maybe one of these days I'll re-edit a video and just put beeps over everything that's spoiler. Spoiler free. The spoiler free uh, version. Maybe for like April Fool's or something. We'll figure it out. Maybe. Uh, Who knows? So Um, just like last time with Nolan's movies, uh, Josh and I came up with a couple of awards that we want to give to individual characters or to the movies themselves. Uh, Again, these are awards that you probably won't find at the Oscars. But... They're fun nonetheless. Do you want to read off what the awards are? Um, I do. I would love to. Thank you. Um, we have, uh, I'm going to go through the list. I'm going to go through them and then we're yeah. going to, so we have <clears throat> in order best title cards uh, or font sequence uh, or font in general. Just, um, the second will be the best use of dynamite. Uh, for those who have been faithfully listening, we've made note that Wes loves his dynamite, so we are uh, paying homage to the dynamite. Boom. The thir- <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. Um, 
the third will be uh, third award will be most dysfunctional cast or cast of most dysfunctional characters, whichever way you want to play it. Um, followed by best cinematography. Um, goes without saying with all the center frames and all the uh, glorious, glorious palettes, vibrant palettes of cinematography. So well, that's that's gonna be a hard one. That's gonna be a toughie. Yeah, that's what um, Yes. <laughs> and then we have most unnecessary death. Again, for those faithfully following, uh, we have pointed out that Wes loves uh, killing uh, people or animals. He loves killing characters off in an unnecessary fashion. So yeah, he has we, a George R. R. Martin complex. He really does. Um, so we are going to, uh, we're going to touch on that. And then finally, last but not least, um, we have our, our best Bill Murray, uh, save for uh, Steve Zissou, we figured that's so we're nixing it. It's best Bill Murray, save for the life aquatic. So yeah, it would be a cheat if that was included because, yeah, of course, yeah. Steve would be – yeah. let us call him Steve-Z. So, like – Steve-Z. I mean, come on now. So uh, do you want to start in with the awards? Um, let, tell yeah, me, Jeff, what is your favorite title slash oh, font? All right, so we're going to get right into it. Um, so – for the runner-up for best title cards or uh, title card sequence or fonts, uh, the runner-up is Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I figured the miniature um, hotel with the words uh, spanned across um, like a gate almost. Um, I was really tempted. Um, just the backdrop of the nice guy. I actually watched just the, there's, I've looked at images. If you look at them all of them together, there was a lot of runner-ups. I, I mean, almost all of them could have been runner-ups. I mean, even Fantastic Mr. Fox and, um, and um, Tenenbaums, like just every, they're all so unique in their own way. I love that. You know what I love about the font? I'm just, I'm not going to make this a thing, but I love that the font captures the mood of the movie and I can't really explain it. So this is a man who knows how to make a title card. Now this is a man who knows how to marry his cousin. <laughs> so, uh, so what's your winner? Everyone. Uh, the winner is Moonrise Kingdom. Okay. Um, that, I watched it again, that pull, well, I mean, just the font in general, that pullback with the blue sky and the yellow cursive, um, I don't know, there's something about, I mean, I know I, I overuse the word nostalgia when talking about West, but like the actual nostalgia of that movie and just the way that that catches it, the title cards. Um, I don't know if that one always resonate, resonates with me the most. Um, so I just went with it. Thank you. Thank you. And tell uh, me, please, uh, let's hear yours. My choice was Isle of Dogs. I uh, <laughs> What a twist. It is a twist. Wow. I think that it's beautiful the way, uh, you know, you have the animated characters banging the drums. It's so, it's, and behind it are these uh, title cards that are just, uh, it, I don't know, they're very reminiscent of uh, Japanese cinema. It's cool. It's very like story, um, like we were saying about the Isle of, on the Isle of Dogs podcast about uh, it harks back to older kind of films, like very theatrical. Oh, because you were we were talking about how the narration kind of tells the story itself before you watch it. Yeah, um, exactly. It's an ode to very old school style. Uh, it, that's what I love about it. It's very old school, very um, Japanese cinema. It, I don't know it blends it all together and I love the music that goes with it with just the drums just beating over it. It warms my soul. So uh, I'll give my pick for best use of dynamite. My 
pick was Rushmore. I just, I just think uh, the way in which it's used in a school play is absurd <laughs> yeah. and hilarious at the same time. It's used for a school play that a kid is putting on about Vietnam. It's preposterous and I, I love it. You know, you, it's like literally in a school and you're blowing shit up. Good for you. That's some chutzpah. I think I have to change my ranking. <laughs> I just that see that scene came to mind quickly, but I thought of other things. But that is a great way of putting it. That here's they're watching the school play, and there's this dynamite going off in a very hilarious sequence. Then, uh, what's your choice for best um, dynamite? The runner-up was uh, Bottle Rocket. The last scene came to mind. Uh, it was also his the first time he met. He brought up dynamite, and it's funny because it's just a comical little thing that we've talked about on the episodes. Um, and I love how it comes to the end. Uh, the one I went with was fantastic. Mr. Fox. Okay. Good one. Um, just, it fits the personality of the movie really well. It's almost like, um, not quite like a spy movie, but it's got that, um, caper cause it's because it's all like a caper filled with caper plots. Um, dynamite fits the personality of the movie. Well, um, it's kind of what I kept going back to more than anything because dynamite in itself is something that harks back. I think of dynamite, I think of Looney Tunes and fantastic. Mr. Fox is the closest thing he has to like a genuine cartoon. Um, yeah. Um, no, I, I don't, completely agree. It works in that storytelling format. I mean, it works in all of them, but like that one, I just, that's the one I went with. So. Then uh, what's your choice for most dysfunctional cast? So I got to be honest with you. This, this was a was, rough one. <laughs> this was, I think, the well, 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 we'll just talk. This was one of the harder ones to come up with, if not the hardest. Um, so my runner-up is Tenenbaums. It's a movie about a dysfunctional family. It's, for me, the obvious answer. Um, I think dysfunctional characters, dysfunctional cast, there's so much variety. Can't say enough about it. But at the end of the day, I came back to Darjeeling Limited. That was Dude. my number one. You and I simpatico on this one, because <laughs> go give your answer first, and then I'll... so this is yeah yeah yeah. So, but as we've said on as we said both said on the Darjeeling uh, podcast, that we have brothers. We have we come from a family, you know, of of brothers. So it's like it's relatable. So, but I don't want to make it personal. I want to like literally just look at it from the film perspective. Is that looking at three brothers related who are very different to see them clash? from beginning to finish is a constant again it's like it, it is relatable but it's more so that it's just it's realistic like it's very just to see the banter and the dynamic and the dialogue between three completely different characters is very engaging because it's it's just the three of them like with Tenenbaums like sure they're all dysfunctional in their own way but because there's so many Tenenbaums it's like you don't get enough of the dysfunction if that makes sense even mm -hmm. though that's it's about dysfunctional family whereas um uh, with Dar Darjeeling, it's like you're literally just stuck with these three dudes on a train, and they're blood related, and they constantly clash. And I just I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, uh, I went with it because the topic is dysfunctional, and I think that these three brothers are the most dysfunctional people that Wes has ever put to screen. Arguably, Francis is literally wearing bandages around his face because he purposefully rode his motorcycle into a cliff uh, off a cliff <laughs> yeah. peter adrian brody's character literally hasn't told his wife that he is in india 
is wearing his father's glasses and carrying his father's <laughs> car keys, yeah. even though he doesn't have the car. Um, and Jack, uh, Jason Schwartzman, just is a broken soul living within the shadows of his older brothers. They're yeah. just the most dysfunctional group of people that uh, find each other or refind each other at the end. I, mean, I don't know. It's that beautiful, one, man. That's pretty good. It's dysfunctional in the most uh, glaring sense to me. I mean, I think that's why. I mean, yeah. yeah. To me, that was just, that was the answer for me. So for best cinematography, I'll give my answer. Although I guarantee we have the same one. Because, yes, this was a tough one. But at the end of the day, Grand Budapest Hotel, the cinematography is by and large the best it's ever been. Undeniable. Uh, undeniable. The use of the academy uh, aspect ratio, just uh, the use of color, the way everything is shot, it's just so meticulous and beautiful. And everything that Wes has been building to just like kind of falls, like stylistically, kind of falls into the frame in this movie. It, it by and large, it's my favorite of his cinematography yeah my runner moonrise kingdom um with the you know the vibrant colors and the uh, the camp location and the island and the water that's everything about though yeah but my number one was grand budapest of course um i just think the of course of course um i just think you know while we're wanking it i mean it's just kind of a (laughs) while we're wanking the ranking you know um just yeah, the miniatures, the set pieces. Like I had, I I had compared it then. I said it on the Grand Budapest episode, but the way that he visually captures, um, to me, uh, styles that are reminiscent of George Melies on Trip to the Moon. Um, everything, the, the 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 figures, the um, the you know, the set designs, the different temperatures, the different. I can't even explain it. Like it's it's, um, yeah. The snow, the, the, the hotel, the, the pink, and the, I just, I can't, it's just an endless palette. And even the colors aside, just the framing, uh, every frame of it is just a, you could take a still of it. It could be a, a portrait, you know what I mean? Literally. Uh, <laughs> so what's your most unnecessary death? So I feel like this is kind of an easy one to guess, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... We're gonna. I'm gonna bring up a conversation we had. I feel like we're bringing full circle. We'll wrap conversations we've had uh, on previous episodes. But the runner, runner up <laughs> was Ned. The runner, the run- runner up. Um, as we've said, Owen Wilson uh, bites the bullet, and I think it's good character development for Steve. Um, although it's it, it's very sudden. He's Wes is very like he's very with his deaths it ned's death kind of comes out of nowhere but it is climactic in the way that characters main characters will die at the end of a film um so i felt it was more necessary but it still was like man like he didn't, left he, didn't, field. he didn't need it he didn't deserve it so the runner the runner-up was buckley from royal tenenbaum's the dog the dog, the dog. um you know the car crashes into the building it's yeah. this big devastating moment where the whole family comes together and they're like, oh, Buckley didn't make it. And you don't see his death, but like, you know, the dog, they said the dog didn't make it, they give him a burial. Worse than that, they replaced the dog literally within like an hour of him dying. It's very, it makes me wonder how Wes grew up and if he had dogs that died in his, I mean, I know he had. Um, I think that he, 
I don't know. I, he had, but, he obviously has a love hate with dogs. I don't. And and that someone was like, hey, listen. He's like, the dogs aren't family, right? They're animals. And when they die, you bury them. You have your funeral, and then you move on. You get another one, and that's it. I don't know why his dad is like a, a someone from The Sopranos, but. <laughs> hey Wes, come on, snap out of it. Um, and my, of course, my most unnecessary death is Snoopy from uh, Moonrise Mine Kingdom. Too. Uh, it's, it's so it's just so tragic an arrow through the fucking neck it it's is so tragic, tragic. And the it, com- it comes out of nowhere it's tragic and you're just like why was this needed like if John Wick were in this movie right now he would kill all your asses with no remorse like, Absolutely. It's horrible because it's just, it's so sudden. You see the arrow, you see the quick shot of the dead dog. It's not like, it's not traumatized, but you're like, damn, like, I thought there was just a kid-friendly movie about children falling in love and there's this dead dog. No one wants to see a dead dog, but anyway, it's, it's, it's horrible. That's, I have no words, further words to say about it. I, clearly, he, this man is... This man this has is very man. complicated uh, feelings with bad uh, dogs. This is a man who knows how to kill a dog. <laughs> oh my god jesus i'm so sorry oh it's terrible so um best bill murray again stipulation no life aquatic for my answer i went with herman bloom from rushmore okay so i feel like the what just the petty nature of his character was so funny to me him and uh jason schwartzman's character are literally vying for the same woman he's a grown-up like and he's stooping down to this kid's level a kid who clearly has no shot to get with the teacher like it's just so yeah outlandish and the scene when he's on the elevator smoking a cigarette and lights a second cigarette had me dying it's so good he's so so good. good It's early signs of dry humor. I mean, Bill Murray's always been over dry humor, but it's like really in in the West verse. It's really like because he he West harness harnesses dry humor from all of his actors, which is why he picked Bill Murray because he does it the best. So to see him do it early on in Rush, and he would continue it in the other movies, it's just it's so good because yeah, he's like he's he's a main character, but um, like you said, it's like him stooping down to this child level. This, this childlike level is just it's just very comical because he's still kind of acting like an adult but at the same time they kind of are in this middle ground and like I said is that the children often act like adults so the adults often act like children so to see these two characters at different ages reach this middle ground and to see Bill Murray do his Bill Murray thing is very funny um, my runner up was Tenenbaums as the dick boyfriend who's uh, dating Riley. Well, yeah that's it no they're married that's right that's right the dick uh, husband of <laughs> Beltro. Um And I went back and I, um, he's a less likable character, but that's obviously on purpose. Um, he has some great moments, like with the smoking when they're in the hospital and he's like, um, uh, oh no, it's um, it's the yeah. moment when Angela says, I didn't know you smoked. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Know you smoked. And he well, has. I really uh, think you should quit. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he has some good dialogue in that scene, but it's um, he really stands out to me in Rushmore. It's just, I mean, so Rushmore's your uh, yes, Rushmore's my number one. For oh, look at that! So we both had a lot of crossovers. <laughs> if we uh, did. So let's get into the official ranking, as per last time. Uh, 
what we're going to do is I will give my bottom four, then Josh will give his bottom four, then I will give my next four, Josh will give his next four, and we will share our number ones. I'm sure there will be lots of surprises here. <laughs> I'm sure there will be surprises, but I guarantee number one is probably the same for both of us. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Again, I don't know his list. He doesn't know my list. So this will be interesting. For my number nine, I went with Bottle Rocket. How do I phrase this? I don't dislike this movie at all. And honestly, this list was a lot harder to make for me personally than the Nolan list because with the Nolan list, I knew flat out from the beginning, like Dark Knight Rises was going to be the bottom. And like his number one was just worlds away from the number nine here. It's all just like compressed. The, it was hard to differentiate them. I just want to stipulate that. So Bottle Rocket being number nine doesn't mean I disliked the movie at all. It's just, it's, it's a first movie. Yeah. You see where he's going from the beginning. You know, some of his tropes are uh, thrown in there and stuff he would expunge upon is definitely in play. But at the end of the day, it's not my favorite of his. And other than Dignan, I didn't really care about the other characters too much, to be honest. And so it's number nine. Number eight is Isle of Dogs. Uh, his latest movie, but clearly not his greatest. Um, so disrespectful. So disrespectful. I was just trying to make a rhyme. Uh, I don't no, it's good. Again, it's good. I don't dislike this movie, but Josh and I talked about it earlier uh, with, you know, if you listen to our Isle of Dogs podcast, this isn't, this shouldn't be shocking. I just feel like there's a lot of plot in this movie and not a lot of character. And I wanted, uh, I don't know, it just feels very convoluted in a, it's very convoluted, which Wes Anderson loves to do. But at the same time, it got too convoluted for its own good. Uh, at number seven, this is where it really got tough, to be completely honest. Like, the next ones could literally fluctuate through, my seven through two could fluctuate at like any moment. But Number seven is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, two animated movies to get like at the bottom. But again, there's literally nothing I can point to that is wrong with Fantastic Mr. Fox. It is just a point of personal preference. And at the end of the day, I do not foresee myself going back to Fantastic Mr. Fox as often as I do the other movies. Uh, it's beautiful. It's what got me into Wes Anderson, but I don't know. Again, I have nothing really negative to say. It, this is just my ranking. At number six is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizel. It's an impressive movie by, you know, it's just very impressive and it's leaps ahead of, uh, you know, Rushmore, like from a cinematography standpoint. But as we talked about uh, during our podcast, I feel like this is more a Bill Murray movie than it is a Wes Anderson movie. And while yeah. I don't find that that warrants penalizing it, I do feel like when I'm making a Wes Anderson film ranking, I should you're take gonna, into account that this is more a Bill Murray movie than it is more a Wes Anderson movie. You're going to be movie. snooty about it. I understand. That's how you it. feel. Yeah, it's, yeah whatever. Yeah. 
you're, and, you're the so- you know, sausage king of Chicago. You can be as snooty as you want, you know? Oh, hey, that's yeah. not how they talk in Chicago. <laughs> hey, I'll kill you. Hey. Like a dog in a like Wes a Anderson dog. movie. Like a dog. I'll kill you. Like a dog. Like a Wes Anderson movie. Jesus Christ. Uh, so those are my, that's my nine through six. Josh, um, it's up to you. Batter up, right? Um, batter up. So, so it's really funny that we keep, oh, it's like we're kindred spirits, man. It's like we're supposed to do this thing because we're supposed to do this thing together because like you took the words out of my mouth. It's like, it's not that I hate any of these movies. I was planning on saying all that because it's like, this is so much, this was hard. It was weird. This It's weird. This was harder for me to rank than Nolan's movies, but it was also quicker because with Nolan, there were movies I'm so passionate about. Um, like Interstellar, and then there's movies that I'm like, but this is such like a technically incredible movie, like Dunkirk, and I'm like, well, which one do I put at like number two, and which one do I put at like number eight? And I'm like, mm-hmm. for me, it's like they're drastically different movies. Where what's nice about West is this is like, you know, I've jokingly compared it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where it's like they could all be together because they're all similar in tone. So it's almost like, I don't know, it's weird. It's almost like this almost for me feels like we're ranking the Marvel movies in the sense where it's like, okay, I can justify this over this because of certain reasons. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of putting them all in the same camp. Yeah. Um, so, 100%. I get so when I, so when I, when I start off with my number nine, I'll just build this, this, I'll put this like a little story almost. So when I, when I start off with my number nine, which is bottle rocket, <laughs> like you said, it's not that it almost reminded me of following in a sense that it's admirable for a first film. 100%. But it's like, but because the style wasn't patented yet, it's like, how can you blame them for not being as great as they would be later? I mean, it's hard to kind of fail backwards unless you're talking about The Dark Knight Rises and you're like, I just can't. You know, after a certain point, after they have the fight underneath and they <laughs> drop the tumbler and the coming from the whatever yeah. ground, and, the movie's right, over. The movie just you, you crashes know? with it, you know? <laughs> Right. It's it's very hard for, I feel like, gifted filmmaker to reach that point for a person with your um, uh, taste in terms of being like, all right, you know what? I already know what you're doing. I don't need to see it anymore. But anyway, but back to the first films, it's kind of like with Bottle Rocket. It's like you said, it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's not that it's bad. It's hard to talk about a movie that's at the bottom of ranking and try and defend it because like most people are like, oh, how could you? But it's like, it's I love this movie, but he was still getting his style under his belt. He was still figuring things out. Uh, Owen and Luke Wilson clearly have good dynamics. They are brothers. See them together. But yeah, I mean, it's visually, it's fine. Uh, Everything else is fine. It sets a great tone for what he would later do. And so I admire it. I don't think you nor myself need to defend it any more than we have in these last few minutes. (laughs) So that is my number nine. Just like how my number eight... uh, (laughs) Surprise, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, actually, is a movie that is probably one of the most uh, intricately well-crafted movies I've seen of this century. You know what I mean? It's just uh, the nostalgia of it is is incredible. But here's the thing. That movie really, and I feel bad about saying this, that movie doesn't really do a lot for me personally. So it's hard for me to not make this personal, right? Because objectively, I think Moonrise Kingdom is a more well crafted film than the Royal Tenenbaums to a degree but it's in terms of storytelling it's like I don't I'm not as involved with the children as I am with the adults of 
relative moms. That's, pr- that's part of me be- becoming a crusty old man in my own way. But um, I'm actually shocked at how low it is on your list. <laughs> but that's my whole point. It's not like, yes, it's low, but of course it's low. But like it, so like before, so for the folks at home, before we jumped on this discussion, I was telling Stephen that I was like watching trailers to get become trying to just build up the juices and think like, all right, where is this in my ranking? Cause I'm, I, I don't know how people could listen to these things out of order, but for anyone who does know, I'm like a ma- an OCD maniac with my rankings. Steven and I, every year we rank our movies and like, I'll literally play around with the order until it's perfect in my mind because I'm just a, a, a psycho with it. So um, Moonrise Kingdom was like number three for me yesterday. So <laughs> Uh, this is kind of like my Dunkirk where I'm like, I acknowledge that it's so good, but like, I just can't get ahead of anything else. So let me explain. Uh, my number seven is I Love Dogs. Um, it's, this is the part where it starts to gel. Like if, with your reasoning, um, there's a lot of plot, as we said in the episode, a lot of plot over character. I definitely feel that, but the movie's so admirable. It's so well-crafted. There's so much homage to Japanese culture, and it's so meticulously well-made, and it's just, I love, I do love dogs in general, but it's also, it's slapstick in a way that just makes me laugh. I love the cast. I think even though it's animated, just hearing their all their chemistry, those are just a bunch of veterans getting together. I like to imagine those dudes just got in a studio, read their lines, and then they left, and that was it, but like, it just felt Probably fun like watching literally them. a day's worth of work. I mean, literally, like, and I, I just, I love the whole cast. I'm a sucker for all of them. I mean, just to see them, I mean, even though they, many of them are in Moonrise Kingdom, just see them all together um, with this dynamic uh, was, it was, it was just great for me. Um, but it probably, probably even a bigger surprise. This one actually killed me. So just brace yourself. My oh, number no. six, my number, <laughs> my number six is Rushmore. which was a a number which was fighting for the three and four spot yesterday Uh, i'll get into it once we talk about the more movies ahead of it but it's just like with rushmore it's like this when we had said on the recording the rushmore episode is that this was the best i think for both of us that that we had seen it it was the best it had hit us the same it was as good for you as it was for me It was just like the Rushmore resonated with me in a way that I had not quite felt because here's a a child who is coming towards the end of his child cycle. He's he's getting ready to become an adult and he has an adult who's getting stooping down to his level um, because they're both, yeah, on the service, they're both fighting for a woman. But really it's just this, as I mentioned in that episode, it's like the chapter ending. It's the door closing. And to me, it feels very significant in his career because it feels like Wes is closing a door and he's saying like, Hey, this represents youth and this represents um, innocence and this represents uh, adulthood is to come and the unexpected road ahead, which is what we all face. And so there's a, there's a a resonance that I have not having just gone to a, a private school where there's people being snooty and whatever, but just like, that idea of like, you're no longer a youth, you know, you're no longer a child, you're entering the adult world, but to see someone like Bill Murray, who's acting like a child, so he can win over the same woman he's fighting for uh, against this student. So um, it was very special for me, but like, it was actually, I feel like I would have ranked it even lower years ago. So it's slowly climbing its way up. Um, Right before you and I got on this call, 
was actually at a higher spot. So <laughs> wow. just, to, just to show how insane I am. But anyway, um, but that's where I stand with it. So cool. Uh, cool, cool, cool. then I will take over. My number five is Moonrise Kingdom. A uh, couple notches up from where it was with Josh. Um, I'm actually shocked. That's my biggest shock on your list <laughs> thus far. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom is kind of uh, how do I phrase? It's kind of like comfort food for me. Like I, I think overall that is the Wes Anderson movie I probably have seen the most, and the comfortability comes purely from the nostalgia that it uh, spews, I guess. It's just very endearing. The cast is all great. And barring Snoopy's death, I feel like everything in that movie is tied up in a nice like bow and it's just so much fun. It's a great summer camp movie that who has ever seen a funny summer camp movie before? That's like a new fucking thing. I've never heard of any of never them. Never heard of such a thing. <laughs> never. Uh, my number four is Rushmore. Uh, to piggyback off of what Josh was saying, this time it was as good for you as, as it was for me. Uh, <laughs> this I, I was kind of blown away by how much I uh, liked this movie or re-loved this movie it had been years since i had seen it i think the last time i had seen it was high school and i don't know maybe the years away from high school have given me a more of a perspective on my high school years you know when i'm in high school it's hard to take a perspective of yourself but it just hit home again the state of arrested development that both herman and uh, jason schwartzman's characters have hit it's hilarious. They're vying over the same woman is great. And, you know, the bees in Herman's room is just hilarious. It's comedy gold. Comedy gold. And, of course, what we talked about, the dynamite before. I love the uh, introduction uh, that of a West trope, which is that of, like, a play within his movies which he does several times. I think he did a Serpico play within this movie and then his Vietnam one. Like, what kind of schools are these that they're putting on Serpico in a Vietnam? It's so funny. I love it so much. I love it too. Uh, My number three is Darjeeling Limited. I'm I'm actually shocked that it ranked this high, but when I was laying it out, I was just, I don't know. This movie spoke to me a lot this time this is the first time i saw it actually so maybe that had something to do with it it's a recency bias thing but as josh said i come i have a sister as well but i come from a family with a couple brothers and watching them interact just kind of not that i am uh, as dysfun- not that we're as dysfunctional as this but like you can see how over time, people kind of shy away from each other and, you know, you need to bring each other back because you're, you're family. And luckily, our mother is nothing like the one in that movie either. Plus, <laughs> I want to say the production design in that movie is impeccable too with the hand-drawn 
elephants all over the train, the tigers, everything. It, My details, incredible. It is. Uh, we spoke about the characters when we were talking about the awards, so I won't get into it. Um, my number two is the Royal Tenenbaums. This is like almost, this is almost Wes Anderson's most classic movie, I think. Like, if you were, if you were to ask uh, me for a classic movie that's kind of modern, I would say instantly Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, it's so charming. The characters are so endearing. They, they're all a wild bunch. Like, this is the best Gene Hackman that Gene Hackman has been in quite some time. Well, I guess he vanished, but he's in retirement now. But in general, like, this is some of the best Gene Hackman that I've ever seen. Some of the best Angelica Houston. Just the undertone of the comedy and the raw emotion that is put on screen too with Luke Wilson's character. It's just very, um, I don't know, it feels like a realistic fairy tale in a sense. It's a great way of putting it. So that's my list. Go for it, Josh. What is um, your six, uh, your five through two? Very curious to uh Well, we all know what my number one, one is now. Well, don't you know, have to spoil it. Come on, don't jump out of the game. But my five through two, yes, let's pick up where I left off. Um, <clears throat> so my is fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, one hour ago, or a little and change, uh, it was my number six. <laughs> uh, Rushmore and Fantastic Mr. Fox kind of fought head-to-head, uh, tooth and nail, for completely different reasons. Uh, where, But this fox snuck in. Basically, like like Rushmore, Fantastic Mr. Fox kind of just, I appreciated it more. It, it's funny because watching it's like, okay, like I really appreciate it. And then it wasn't until we talked about it that it was all coming back to me. And I'm like, there's something ext- extremely special about this movie because- Dare I say not, something fantastic. Dare I say something fantastic. I mean, it's just like, you know, I'm, we, we, I don't need to gush over it. We talked about it in the episode and it's like, for it being his Wes's first animated movie is admirable, but just George Clooney owns the role and all the act voice actors to just play characters as nonchalantly as they would in a live action picture is extremely funny. To hear deadpan humor from Bill Murray as a badger is funny. Um, and they're putting on this crime caper plot, but just the way it's animated and the way it's told and the way it feels like a Raoul Dahl story despite it being a Wes Anderson movie is incredibly special. Um, there was a point earlier where in my ranking where it was head to head, this and I love dogs were the same because like, I love, I love and slightly dislike, I guess you could say, cause I don't hate, I love and slightly dislike both of them for similar reasons, but it's also like fantastic. Mr. Fox is the superior. For me. Um, man, it just like, it really hit me in a way that it had never had before. So that's where I had put it there. Then um, you could flip, for me, I could flip this and Rushmore on a dime, either or. Um, I appreciated them both more than I ever have. So um, there's no more I need to say about it. This is where it gets tricky for me. <laughs> my four through two could all be interchangeable. So like it, my five and six could have been interchangeable. My two through four, you could have flipped any of them. So my four was Darjeeling Limited. And that was 
as you said, you put it perfectly. I mean, we just said, and we said it during the uh, awards, it's that we come from a, a family with brothers. Um, our families aren't as dysfunctional, but it's kind of just, um, there is something very special about this movie. I think part of it is the, and I'll bring this back later, but it's part of it is the insomnia uh, aspect in the ten- sense that this is the movie that no one talks about in Wes's movies. Yeah, The Bastard and Child. It's unbelievable. And it's like, there is so much incredible character development. And beyond that, it's just the, the fact that they stick these three American actors in India and it's on a train. And like you said, with the hand painted detail with the elephants and all that, like there's, it's an extremely special movie. I think it's because it still feels small. Maybe it got lost in the trenches. Maybe it just didn't make a lot of money as we've talked about it. Like, I don't know, just people missed it. But when I talk to anyone who says they love Wes Anderson, this is the movie that people say that they have not seen. Like, I, I don't know many people have actually seen it. And I know plenty of people who have seen the other movies. So there's something that's special about it because it's kind of a runt in its own way. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you can listen to the episode if you want to hear us gush about it. But it's it's incredibly sentimental for myself, having brothers, and for it being a kind of a sleeper, like an underrated West movie. So I, I love it. Now, <laughs> now I'm really going to blow your mind. <laughs> oh, no. My number three is the Royal Tenenbaums. Okay, okay. That's not where I thought you were going with it. Go no, on. no, no, no. No, Jesus Christ. No, come on. I know where you thought I was going. No, no, I don't want to say, we'll say the words at the end. Royal Tenenbaums. So, really, it's one that could have been interchangeable. Eh, one was always going to be one. I mean, let's be honest, but yep. we'll, say, we'll save our good words for the end when we're ready to uh, uh, to, to climax, you know. So, um, Royal Tenenbaums, like you said, you put it perfectly. The, the balance between uh, um, comedy and emotional drama is something I can't quite put into words. That's not what you said, but like that's there's something incredibly special about Royal Tenenbaums. We don't get many movies like Royal Tenenbaums in our lifetime because, as I as I brought up, just to bring this whole pod, this whole season, if you will, the whole Wes Anderson saga podcast. I kept saying that Royal Tenenbaums was a movie that my family rented when it first came out, like on DVD from a blockbuster hundreds of years ago. Because <laughs> blockbusters an irrelevant thing. You know, it's obsolete. Hey, you can go to a sleepover. You can pay to sleep over at Blockbuster now. Okay. As of this recording. As you of can... this recording, you could go on Airbnb and uh, actually rent out a blockbuster a for a blockbuster for a sleepover on uh, a 90s style sleepover yes with neon lights and tons of VHS tapes uh, along the shelves but they my family had rented this movie and notoriously I remember it because my family didn't really like it and I was I was young at the time I mean this is uh you know, 2001. So they must have rented, I don't know, 2002 might've been, you know what I mean? Like I was young. So I, I just remember sitting around with my family and them not really liking it. Uh, and yet getting older and like this movie just slowly got better and better and better. The more we rewatched it um, in terms of what you had said about watching Moonrise Kingdom the most, I think Royal Tenenbaums is probably the West Anderson movie I've seen the most. Um, it's one of those. It's just, I can't really explain it. Um, Earlier, you and I spoke 
about earlier Stephen and I spoke about once upon a time in Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino I said it's one of those things I've only seen a few times but it's gotten better every time Royal Tenenbaums is kind of the same thing it's one of those things that because I think it focuses on so many generations I appreciate it the older I get because like I can almost relate with different characters every time I watch it and it's something incredibly special but I digress my number two it's the Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu. Wow. Sisu, however you want to put it. Big shocker. Um, I am shocked that it's that high. My thing is, like, in, I use, I've thrown around the word quirky a lot during this entire podcast, during all of, almost every episode of West is like quirky comedy. And none is really as, for me, as quirky as Steve, as Life Aquatic. The movie's just kind of bizarre. It's bananas. It's his longest movie. It's arguably his most bloated movie, his most ridiculous movie. It's just every the characters in their red caps. Willem Dafoe just popping up with the wonderful small moments, but Bill Murray just doing his thing for the entire time. There is so much happening in the movie that like it makes me wonder if there is a director's cut. Not that he that's Wes Anderson's thing. Um, because you can imagine how much ended up on the cutting room floor. That's how I look at it. Maybe not, but I it's no, just, I, I would bet that there's there is stuff on the cutting so room so much. You could have axed a half hour out of this movie and it probably wouldn't have lost much. You probably could have nixed almost an hour out of the movie and you wouldn't have lost much. So that's just saying for how much doesn't really happen. Get on the boat, they go look for the, the, the shark, but it's kind of like... taken by pirates. <laughs> it's just outrageous. And everything about they're taken by pirates, they're held hostage... You know, uh, Steve has his moments. He bonds with Ned, but then Ned dies. And it's just like this adventure movie, but it's not really. There's the glowing jellyfish. Like, I can't explain how much it comes back to me. Um, and it makes me, it just genuinely makes me laugh. Um, not as much as some of the others, especially the number one, which will, you and I will clearly have a bonding moment over. But Well, uh, are you ready to go into your number one? or Let's dive in. It, it's very clear that uh, if people can't picture it right now, it's very clear that our number one is the Grand Budapest Hotel. It, which should not shock anyone, given how much Josh and I have gushed over this movie throughout the entire Wes Anderson series. I think that we mentioned it in almost like every podcast. Because this is everything that Wes Anderson had been working to. This is literally everything he had ever done and everything he had ever learned too, just like put on the screen in this beautiful square framed film that gives you this like epic journey with such a small budget and just the comedy in it is, this is honestly one of the funniest movies that I have seen in quite some time just with Ray Fiennes in the prison garb saying, I beat the living shit out of him, Zero. <laughs> because if, the one, if there's one thing the Penny Farthings have taught us, it's that you, when you go to you prison, must never be you a must candy ass. never be a candy ass. <laughs> you must never be a candy ass. <laughs> but you should be beat him. He's a dear friend of mine now. <laughs> like it's, it's amazing. The charm of M. Gustav, who... Ray Fiennes was robbed of an Oscar nomination oh that year. Oh my god, we said it on the recording, but he really like. How did you not even nominate the man? Like, if, right. if you don't want, if he doesn't win, that's fine. But how did you not even nominate the man? Oh, He's, I don't even agree with who won that year, but uh, I don't remember who we said. 
Well, that was 2014. 14. So I believe. Oh, that's uh, where Michael Keaton lost to. Uh, yeah, Michael Keaton lost. Uh, stupid. What's his face? Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne for Theory uh, of Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could have played Stephen Hawking and I would have won the Oscar. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm not going to touch that. I'm sorry. We can nix all of that. Um, but but I, I thought that Michael Keaton should have won. But let's focus on uh, no, no, stand the movie. Grand stand Budapest. The movie. Stand the movie. Go on. <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's nothing you and I could say more about it. We can, you know, we can cut all this for audio. Uh, it's like that there's that image that I've seen. I don't know if they've used it in the, in the opening titles, but it's like that image of Randy Marsh when he's sitting on the couch and there's just sperm everywhere all over the walls. <laughs> I'm talking about... I don't it, was even, a, it was a spooky ghost came in here. <laughs> like, that's what I imagine, like, when we talk about Great Hotel, because I can't... Like, when people say, like, oh, what are some of the best movies you've seen? And you and I... I mean, again, we can keep this off air, but it's like, whatever, whatever. I don't care. But it's like you and I have teased the idea of doing, like, best movies of, the, of this century or best movies of the 2010s decade. or anything you said. The best movies of the decade. Thank you. And I'm thinking, like, Grand Budapest Hotel is just, like, it instantly comes to my mind. Like, it's literally... You just... I cherish these kinds of movies because we don't get movies like this. Like where there's just, we've become so tolerant. I'm not going to get political, but it's like, we've become so tolerant of just the dog shit that we see on streaming and on TV. And it's just like, Hey, this is fine. That like, how do you not just pause for a movie like Grand Budapest Hotel? And it's just like, like I said, like Randy Marsh sitting there with a spooky in the spooky ghost room. You know what I mean? Um, well, I don't think I can top that. I can't top uh, spooky ghost goo ectoplasm all over the walls. I <laughs> so I think I'll just say by uh, let's get into final thoughts on. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you and I can't say anything more about it than we've said on the no. episode or right now. It's no, incredible. Yeah, we can't gush over that movie any more than anyone has already done. So I'll, I'll give my final thoughts. Uh, I don't like comparing the two because they're very different. This was inevitable. <laughs> but this was inevitable. <laughs> I, I said it at the beginning, and I will repeat it again. Nolan, by the point we reached Inception, my mind literally melted. I felt like I was going into purgatory within the uh, Inception universe, and the world was just crumbling around me. Granted, it was at the height of COVID, but... The world is crumbling around me. I'm like mind numb. On the beach. Just on the let beach it be over. Just going like, this isn't ending. I'm here for another 50 years. Um, <laughs> where with Wes Anderson, I just feel like after watching it, I can literally go back and watch any one of his movies again right now and still feel like complete happiness watching it i just his movies are i don't want to say light because they are dense but they have this air around them that's just so much lighter and breezier and i don't know he kind of makes like adult movie uh sorry he makes kid movies for adults something oh, that's like yeah i'm so, sorry something that's like so breezy and enjoyable meant for like any adult with maybe like a quirky or sadistic sense of humor but like they 
open, most of his movies literally open with a storybook. They are kids' movies for adults. And I cherish all of them. I don't think for, uh, like, I don't know. I take excessive amounts of notes for this. I think total this time it was like 110 pages worth of notes for all of his movies. Amazing. That's not even incorporating the synopses. <laughs> That's just like the notes on the movies. You should write a novel. <laughs> you should just write a novel. You know that uh, book you've been working on? You know that novel you've been working on? Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading it. But, you know, I, I just feel like this whole nine-week experience just went by like that. It went by faster than the ski ride in uh, Grand, Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel. Yeah, yeah, just zipping off the slopes. Zipping off the slopes. I, you said it perfectly in the first episode, I think, where you may not like all his movies, but you cannot deny that the technical achievements of his movies gets better each and each time. And, you know, I didn't love Isle of Dogs, but I cannot deny that it was beautiful. And I cannot, work went into it, and a yeah. lot of work went into it. Um, so I guess my final thoughts are just like, he is a meticulous director who makes some of the best kid movies for adults that I can... Uh, find out there and i'm sorry to nolan i didn't mean to bash you i like you i love your movies i'm looking forward to seeing tenant i just you know just the nature of our podcast led us to compare you to right now he's ripping off his headphones and he's saying curse these these curse these boys bloody hell these motherfuckers yeah he's got michael kane doing the shouting for him you know Bloody hell, these fucking cunts. <laughs> Pretty much. Gonna send the Peaky Blinders on us. It's really wild. Because he knows Killian Murphy. He knows the Peaky Blinders. He knows them all. I mean, if someone if someone were to whack us, I mean, Nolan could would definitely be able to do it over Wes, you know? Yeah, but uh, I don't know. He would do it in reverse time, so <laughs> I don't know. He'd, Just he'd like a tenant. He'd whack us good. No, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll keep He'll the tenant to schedule. Whack us good. Don't He'll whack us good. <laughs> Is that, we keep, are we keeping that on the tape? He's oh, gonna, whack, gonna, us gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna us. whack us good. He's gonna whack us real good. He's gonna whack you, then he's gonna whack me, then he's gonna have us whack each other. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe. <laughs> so, Josh, tell me your final thoughts. On Wes Anderson. Steven, thank you for asking me. I never I never thought you'd ask. I really, you took the words out of my mouth. You can't co- help but compare to Nolan, but that's all we've done. <laughs> when you and I have done this, what we've done together and just taken this experiment of uh, week after week watching movies in certain criteria, you just can't help but compare because it's all, all you know is your experience. So it's like, um, you you put it you put it well you put it incredibly well when you said it's like with Nolan it's like you felt like it would never end and with Wes it's kind of like it was a breeze like you don't want it to end like I'm a little sad knowing that we're not gonna be visiting another um, Wes Anderson film for until whatever Tenet Jesus just Christ <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm sad knowing that we will not be revisiting that we will not be visiting another Wes Anderson film until French Dispatch which will be next year I guess Um, they haven't announced the release date 
Whereas like with, with Nolan, it seemed to be lining up perfectly with when Tenet would be coming out that we could talk about it and then they pushed it and whatever. But by the time we got to uh, Interstellar and Dunkirk, it's like, okay, I need a breather. Like this is just like someone smothering you a little bit. And it's just, it's very interesting because this whole experiment has allowed us to psychologically evaluate how we view films and why we categorize them, right? So for like Nolan, it's like, but it's also like he's he's really not a filmmaker for me who's designed to be binge watched he's not the kind of person like to just watch one movie after another if you want to binge the dark knight trilogy like god bless you you know what i mean like it's good you know the good three movies that will take a lot out of you but like for what we did like it's it's kind of like it's kind of maniacal in a sense because people are like i'm seeing on like letterboxd and wherever people are like hey i'm rewatching i'm rewatching nolan's movies i'm like kind of like I don't know if you realize what you're getting yourself into. Like you're because every movie is so intense and it's so overwhelming and it's so absorbing. We're hour. And we've talked, we've talked a whole damn podcast about it. So it's like, just to bring it to what we're doing. It's like with Wes, it's like, like you said, it's like a storybook. It's like, I'm being invited. I'm being invited to the story rather than being, pulled into the story do you that know what I mean? is perfect no that is perfect because I, I i'm sorry i don't mean to cut into your final oh, i have nothing else to say i'm just but... i'm just uh, again we haven't seen tenant and this is we're recording this uh at the end of august uh right. so even if it like we don't even know if we'll have the ability to see it because we're in new york and new york still has not opened movie theaters But from the reviews I have been hearing, just that Nolan keeps you at an arm's length in this in Tenant while you watch, and what you just said is perfect. Nolan loves to keep his audience at arm's length when Wes Anderson invites you in. He opens the storybook for you and says, "Like this is our story. This is it. You want to join me? This is this is our this is our our cast. Here are our characters. It's a very playful scene where Nolan's like you open with these intense moments, heavy breathing, and they're dying, and you're like, "Holy shit, what's wrong?" With this person literally opens with a black title card going, "Bomb, bomb." <laughs> you're like, I just can't help but like feel like it's like Clockwork Orange with the eyes being peered open and i'm at the edge of my seat and i'm like all right this is gonna be great experience but like it's still gonna be incredibly intense where with west it's almost like i imagine like a tiny tim or someone with a a little banjo is sitting in the in the, in the meadow with children i'm like you know what that's really maybe that's not my cup of tea but it seems incredibly pleasant over there and so it's very interesting as a psychological experiment what you and i are doing in which we've evolved while we're do- we've been doing it is to find subjects that are opposite of what we've been doing prior so like we made it a very con we made a very conscious decision to choose wes over wes after nolan not just because they both have films coming out and it's it'll reach a wider audience because they have films coming out but because the tone is so different and it's just made me appreciate both of these filmmakers but with wes it's like as i've gotten older you know you see the dawn of third of your 30s and you're like okay like it's not that you're outgrowing it, but you're like, okay, I, I resonate more with the characters who are very disturbed and quirky and funny and human versus the characters who are human and damaged, but they're wrapped up in these 
gargantuan plots. And I think that's where you can see a clear difference with doing what you and I have done these last two sessions, we'll call them, of just seeing two completely different style of style filmmakers, you know? I feel like Wes Anderson's ability to get the same cast members too also helps play with that because like we said, with Wes Anderson movies, we feel invited into the story. And like, we already know the actors that are gonna be in it. We know the players. So we just like have to learn like the specific quirks of the character that they're playing this time. Sure. Like we're literally invited in and like we watch Wes Anderson play meticulously with his toys. Yes, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, but uh, you can't, again, I also want to point out that we don't hate Nolan movies. We spent no, a great of deal of time not. on him. He's, a, he's one of the most gifted filmmakers of our time for his own I reasons. just want to make that clear because we've been shitting on Nolan for a good like five <laughs> minutes now. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say like, we don't dislike Nolan movies. I love them, but watching them back to back to back to back to back. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's just like a mountain of tuna fish. And I, I think... <laughs> and I cannot fathom ever doing that again. The closest I will ever come to doing that again is watching Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And I will skip The Dark Knight Rises forever. Sure. I but... think... I, it feels like I've aged. I aged like four years in the couple weeks that we watched. Like, it was just like... That's I just what I was ate. saying. We're like in the inception limbo. I aging 50 years going when is this gonna end you know what it's just funny because like i get these feelings and it's just funny to put it in words because like watching certain movies you get overwhelmed and you're like that was so good like i can't wait to watch it again and you watch it again you're like wow it's really intense it's almost like um i can only i actually only seen a few other movies but i imagine it'd be like if you were watching the safety brothers and you're watching good time and uncut gems but like films after them that are just as intense as those like we're we're human you know what i mean we're only designed to and when there's people like you and i who we ingest we we sorry we digest these movies in different ways where we take it personally we take it emotionally where a lot of people be like oh, yeah it's, it's fine it's whatever but we're like no no we're like involved like when you watch something that intense it's kind of very overwhelming where just to keep this episode full circle keep this session the season whatever you want to call it full circle with Wes it's just like yeah you can't help but compare like you said we love Nolan it's not that we don't it's just like you finally see this breath of fresh air where you're like okay like this is a good pace like maybe we're just crotchety old men but like that's I don't think so because I feel like the charm of what Wes Anderson does is he shows you the arrested development that most humans go through because Absolutely. the kids stop uh, maturing at the age of like, I don't know, 15 at his movies, not even mm -hmm. how old are the kids in uh, Moonrise Kingdom, like 13. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like at the age of 13, the kids and adults are literally on the same playing field and the, his movies just help you like come to terms with your past through nostalgia and like where you are now and how like you can possibly better yourself through looking back through of the eyes of a child where Nolan is just like the sad men are like going through these tasks that like are 
unimaginable to us. Like I don't ever foresee Josh and I ever going into someone's dream and having to like put an idea in someone's head. That's hey, just like never going to happen. But like, you don't I know could what see us... technology could advance in a, in a few years, but, yeah, anyway, but like, but... I could see you and I, not like, but I could see us like going to a foreign country with our siblings one day, like to reconnect. That's very nice, human. You know, nice, where do you want to go? I'll go to a foreign country with you, man. That'd be wild. You know, and man, then pretty... you with your siblings, but oh, we yeah, can go right, somewhere right, too. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. But we can't go anywhere. COVID is... Uh, <laughs> COVID's a thing. COVID's still uh, running rampant. This is really wonderful. Um, it, it's very it's very interesting because this harks back, and you know, whether on or off the record, it's just this harks back to the conversations we would have at, at Technicolor when we'd be in the, you know, back in the back by the shelves of all the film. And we'd like just talk a bond over these movies. But it's just kind of like... It harks back to this thing like you and I could do this till King, Kingdom Come, you know, uh, until the end of days. You know what I mean? It's just, and we could run around in circles. So I just don't want to keep repeating ourselves. No, but it's absolutely. Just, it's, but it's very interesting to see how we landed at this place. Like, yes, we similarly similarly agree. I think even more so with Wes's, like, not even just the rankings, but just like the mood of his movies. Because it's just, it's not that there's less to take away, but there's so much more to dwell on in a sense. Like yeah, like you said, like it's not like there's heist dream heist plots, but it's I don't know. It's just watching I, I just it makes watching dysfunctional families at my age, at my point in my life, I'm like, this just makes sense. Yeah. You know? Because <laughs> we can relate to it. So I guess that's a good place to end our final thoughts on Wes Anderson. If right. you don't think that's enough final thoughts, then listen to the nine episodes that preceded. We have um, a lot. Before we have this. a lot. So Josh, I think it's time to announce our next topic. Oh, man, I think it is. I think, uh, do you want to tell the good people what it is? I will tell the good people. Um, Stephen and I have decided uh, after two critically acclaimed directors, we're going to uh, go up. Uh, we're going to up our stakes. And since we will be landing in October, we both um, uh, have a love for horror movies. We will be landing wonderful, critically acclaimed, um, everlasting, never-ending Friday the 13th franchise. <laughs> that is not a... That is not a joke. That is the re- that is the real thing. We have uh, landed on the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Now, I just want to stipulate: we will not be doing Freddy versus Jason, right? Uh, and I, nor will we be doing the remake. Yes, uh, we just wanted. To, we're going to be doing the original franchise one through ten. Yes, we're sticking with the original continuity. Everything else, we'll mention everything else, but it's also that's based on our timeline, there our schedule. And our strength. Yes. And (laughs) in order to make it fit uh, the month of October, Josh and I have come up with what we hope will be an interesting way to run the show that we will divulge in the next episode. Uh, But I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. I'm quite sure you are as well, Josh. It'll it'll be very different. Um, I think that it'll be a good change of pace for us. I think that we need to not get too ahead of ourselves and acknowledge like, hey, we can uh, acknowledge critically acclaimed filmmakers, but we can also uh, acknowledge a very popular, outrageous uh, uh, 
franchise. Um, I just think that we need to show the good people we have our own diversity. Um, we are have not landed on Igmar Bergman. We haven't lost the mainstream folks who were like, yeah, yeah, these uh, film nerds are just, you know, doing their thing. So we want to prove to the good people at home that we can, uh, you know, get on the level <laughs> of uh, Jason Voorhees and the bloody slashers of horror that being movies. Said. I would love doing Ingmar Bergman. One of these oh, man, we should do Bergman, man. Fuck Friday the 13th, man. Let's do Bergman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so man. I think that's where we're going to end this episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Josh looks like he has one more announcement. Yes. I, in tradition, as we did, I, I improvised the last time. I think in tradition, we will leave the, the folks with one. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. One bastard, one bastard child uh, recommendation based on the filmography we watched. Um, You're gonna steal mine right now. I guarantee it. No, it's just, it. we have the same one. It's it's all right. All right. One, two, three. Darjeeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. All right. So, all right. Whatever, man. All right. So listen, like we said with the Prestige last episode, uh, last like we said with the Prestige last season. Just watch Darjeeling Limited. You don't know what you're missing. I can promise if you're listening to this, you probably haven't seen it. Just watch it. Just, it is, it's great. It's it wonderful. Both of our top fives. Just watch it. All right. You know, so that's our recommendation. Um, and we'll see how we do with uh, Jason Voorhees and the Hockey Mask. It's going to be fun. Well, not till the third one. Remember that. All yes, right. Yes. Hey. So. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart, and we'll see you next time. Well, yes. kind of. Well, you'll hear us next time. We won't you'll see you. Jeez. Oh, we won't see you, but you'll hear us.